It's Wednesday night, and we are talking about something that is probably one of the most controversial things that's ever been debated in religious history, and that is baptism. And we do not believe in water baptism here at Grace and Truth Ministries. Baptize does not mean, the definition in the Greek does not mean to dip into water or to sprinkle with water. Baptize originally, according to the McClinican Strong, the same man that produced the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, produced the McClinican Strong. This was back in the 1800s when it was produced. It probably had, I think they said it had 200 contributors over like a 10 to 12, 15 year period putting this together. And back then they, they printed things that we don't print today. And even Mr. Strong will tell you, originally the word baptize was a verbal noun. Now he won't tell you what a verbal noun is, but I know what a verbal noun is. It was a noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. And it does not show action. No action. An action, dipping into water would be an action verb. It would show action. But it was verbal in character. It had the character of verbal. And that, what that means is that the movement, the part that was verbal, the movement was on the part of the fluid and not on the person. Now, I didn't say that. The authorities will tell you that. Mr. Girdlestone, Robert Baker Girdlestone, one of the great scholars, Greek and Hebrew scholars of all time, said several hundred years ago that the translators, when they got to the word baptized, they did not know what to do with it. So what they did, they anglicized the word baptize. Anglicize. They anglicized the word baptize, the verbal noun baptism or baptize. When you anglicize something, you turn it into an English word. So the translators took this verbal noun. By the way, a verbal noun is called an infinitive in the English or in the Greek. You see, I don't know what an infinitive is. Well, it's a verbal noun. Now, when you read it out of, out of Mr. Strong, he'll say it was a verbal noun. Some of the greatest fights that's ever been has been over whether you should dip people in water or whether you should sprinkle them with water. Sprinkling comes closer because 
the aspersion. The aspersion of the fluid is sprinkled upon the subject. I can't spell when I'm talking. The, the aspersion of the fluid. To asperse means to pour out or stream out all over. And the aspersion has to do with the fluid. Now, they didn't know what to do with this, so they anglicized it. They took a noun with verbal character and turned it into an action verb and called it baptize. Can you do that? Absolutely not. Did they do it? Yes. That's where the confusion of baptism comes from. Let me show you something that I haven't showed you. I don't think I've showed you yet. It's, if you will study your Bible definitively, define everything, look at what it is. When you see verbal noun, don't just keep going. Get you an English book out and find out what a verbal noun is. That's what I do when I'm studying. I want to know what is something. So, look over here in 1 Corinthians. First of all, I need to read to you. I'm going to try to document tonight some things by reading out of some of my books, things that you may, may help you more to understand than just me saying it to you. I want to uh, document it out of some of the books I've got. I've got several thousand books in my library at home. It covers floor to ceiling in two rooms. Just unbelievable amount of books. And uh, what I'm doing, I'm trying to... I, I go into my library, and I can't even research all my library because if you're looking for something in a book, you got to look at every word that it has to do with I I was picked up one of my my uh, uh, encyclopedias the other day. I was just sitting in the den. I thought, well, while I'm sitting here watching the news, I'll pull out one of those, just any volume of my Jewish encyclopedia. Well, or maybe it was Hastings. I think it's Hastings. I pulled it out and sat down and just thumbed over and flipped to one page, and it said, Living Creatures. And I thought, and then I got to looking at it, and it was talking about the, the living creatures. You won't even know to look up living creatures in Hastings. And I looked up living creatures, and it was talking about the creatures in the first chapter of Ezekiel that's accompanying these chariots. And I preached on that. And uh, that has the face of an eagle, the face of an ox, the face of a, a lion, the, and the face of a man. And I've gone through that. That's about the covenant of God that God established with Noah when he came out of the ark. But I never thought to look under living creatures. And boy, instead of going through all this and describing it for me, that's why I'll tell you what I do when I'm studying. I'll pull down a, one of my volumes of the Hastings, or I'll pull down McClinic and Strong. I'll just thumb through it one page at a time, and I'll have some uh, some post-it notes there. And I'll say, oh, I've got to read this. And I'll just mark it. I'll just put a post-it note there, and I'll keep thumbing. And I'll, and I'll keep looking at the headings. 
look at the body of the work. Oh, I need to read this. And, for, and before I sat down, I got 35 or 40 things I say I need to read. And I try to get back to reading them. And when I do get back to reading them, I learn so much. If you've got, if you've got a Hastings Encyclopedia, which I've got some over here, I've got a set here and a set at home. In fact, I got two sets at home. I got one set downstairs and one set upstairs. I got two sets of these at home, one upstairs and one downstairs. Because when I want to look at one of them, I don't want to run all the way upstairs to get it. But don't think you can rub up against them and by osmosis you'll get all this stuff inside of you. Well, I've got them. Look what I've got in the pretty books I've got. And don't think you can rub up against those Encyclopedia Hastings, 13 volumes, and you can get a hold of this. You can't. You've got to pull them out, look at it, thumb to it, see what it's got to say, and things you don't think you're going to understand or don't need, that's the one you'll need. It's... The amount of information is these is phenomenal. I have, you think I've looked through all these? There ain't no man alive that's ever looked through all of them or has ever lived. It's just got too much there. So what I do, I'm always searching. Never ending. I'm on a never ending search for information. Information is where you're going to find these things. Now, before I read this out of 1 Corinthians, let's go over to the Great Commission. Go over here to Matthew 28. And I'm going to say this one more time. I don't know if I've really made this clear to you yet. Let's read Matthew 28. But let me be elementary. Let me talk to you like we are in the second grade, okay? Maybe that'll really help you to see this. Before I read this in Matthew 28, and before we go to first, everything I teach you, it's like, it's a parallel. This is equal to this, and this is equal to this, is equal to this, is equal to this. There's an axiom in algebra that says, things that are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. So if you find this equal to this, 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 then this thing on the end is equal to this thing down here, and all of them are equal to each other. If you learn that, that's something that will help you really learn. And you think algebra is hard. It's not hard. It's the simplest thing in the world. Everybody uses it 24 hours a day, and most women that are cooks don't even know you're using it, and they're using it. Everybody uses algebra. You can't live without it. It's a real simple, common thing. Now look here. Before I read this in Matthew 28, what we're going to do, I'm going to show you these connecting together. I've done it before, but I'm going to show you once again. If we're going to put read Matthew 28, I mean Matthew 28, before we do that, we're going to read Matthew 3, and then we're going to read, read, then we're going to read 1 Corinthians. We're going to see how in the world does this sound like it's contradicting? No, it's not. It's a matter of definition defining the word baptize. 
Now, then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. How in the world do these connect? All right. I've shown you this already. Go to Matthew, the third chapter. Now, Jesus is coming to John the Baptist, having baptized him. He's born in that first chapter. His mother, uh, the the uh, wise men come to see the young child in the second chapter. And then from the second chapter to the third chapter, he grows up and becomes 30 years old. There's 30 years between the second one and at least 28 years because he's two years old when the wise men get to the house where the young child is. So you can jump 28 years at least to the third chapter. John the Baptist is baptizing, and he says down here in verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I didn't have any idea what that meant. Pentecostals don't know what that means, and so they... Say, Holy Ghost in the fire is jumping again down, going, whoopee, praise God, yes, praise the Lord. Holy Ghost in fire. That's not Holy Ghost in fire. Holy is the word hagios. Ghost is the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. And fire is the word pur. Now, that was such a common saying in the first century that had been around since around 300 B.C., about three, 320 B.C., 320 B.C. That was a common saying. How do you know that? Well, it's out of another one of my books. It's out of the, uh, what's the name of that book? Harvest of Hellenism by F.E. Peters. He tells you what Hellenism was about. Hellas, Hellas was another name for Greece, but it was a cultural name for Greece. It was the Greek culture. To Hellenize something meant to make it Greek, teach it Greek, Teach it Greek definitions. It was, it was Alexander the Great, the great conqueror of Greece from around 332 to 320 when he died. And he was the great conqueror that gave us the Greek language, Greek culture, the Greek philosophies, Epicureanism and Stoicism. The Stoics... Stoicism was started by this man called Zeno. That was his name. Zeno. You can go and look up Zeno and it'll tell you all about him. Mr. Peters tells us in the Harvest of Hellenism, this was a common terminology. Numa and Pur. Mr. Zeno said that all the universe looking at the stars and the 
Jupiter and, uh, and uh, our solar system looking out beyond that. He said all of this great magnificent thing that we call our galaxy, he said it was a living, breathing entity. An entity is a, a thing within itself that's alive. And he said it was one breathing entity. I always try to explain it like this. If one of the atoms in my little fingernail was our solar system. The solar system is Earth, the Sun, Mars, Jupiter, Uranus, all those in our... There's only one star in our solar system. A star was a gaseous, on fire, throwing out light. Our sun is a star. That's what it is. All those that you see out there in the distance, they're quite larger than our sun. But they're all stars, and they're on fire, flaming. They're a big gaseous body. Our, our sun's supposed to burn out in about five billion years. I've been worried about that. <laughs> if we're going to live that long. Now, where was I? So he said that all of this entity was a living, breathing being. And he said what gave this, and he called it cosmos. We call it C-O-S-M-O-S. -O -S. When you look up cosmos, you see it means an orderly arrangement. Now, I had a guy arguing with me out to prison. I don't mean an orderly arrangement. It means people. Ignorant. You can take a Webster's Intercollegiate Dictionary. Always get the Intercollegiate. They'll tell you what, what the ancient words are that it came from. You look up cosmos. You look up cosmos, and it will say orderly arrangement. And you look up cosmetic. And it will say from cosmos. And cosmetic is, that's where a woman puts an orderly arrangement on her face, isn't it? She puts her face on. Well, you can go into all of these, uh, cosmos, comos. Uh, we get even the little thing you wear around your neck. What do you call it? The cameo. The cameo. Yeah, that's even a, that's an orderly decoration. You even get a cameo. When the Bible says women are to adorn themselves in modest apparel, the word modest is, comes from the word cosmos. Cosmeo just means orderly arrangement. So when you're looking at these words, pick up everybody. You notice how many, I've got all kinds of markers in there and... And I always use those post-it notes, and it'll tell you what. If it's Middle English, if it's Old English, it'll tell you if it comes from the Latin. It'll tell you if, if its origin is Greek, what it is. So you want to have a Webster's Dictionary when you're looking up words. Don't just have one that has the definition. Be sure it has the original words in it. Always be sure and inspect it before you buy one. I've got them here. I've got several of them at home. Now, where was I? So he called all this, 
he called this great early arrangement Cosmos, and he said what gave Cosmos life was Numa and Pur. So anyone listening to John the Baptist knew what this meant. Anyone with an earshot, they were saying that all the time. Now here's what I want to bring out. John the Baptist, so when they said Numa and Pur, that was something that meant this right here. It meant life. The one that comes after me will baptize you with life. The word pneuma means breath. It's the word spirit. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. And the spirit is the truth. And that's what gives us life, right? That's what gives us life. Now, I want to go on over here and let's look at this. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now turn to 28th chapter of Matthew. Chapter 28. Now here's what's happening. John the Baptist is baptizing right after Jesus comes to him. John is baptizing. And he's baptizing, and uh, that's Matthew 3. And then Matthew 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And then Matthew 5, he starts his ministry. This has to do with baptism is what it has to do with. He starts his ministry in Galilee. And that's important to know. Because Galilee is northern Israel. He doesn't start it in southern. You've got to remember, when he started in northern Israel and not southern Judah, when you get above the land of Benjamin into northern Israel, the Pharisees wouldn't step foot into northern Israel. They considered it polluted. And Jesus is up here in the Galilee area preaching against the Pharisees down here. So they're not going to start a fight with him at the beginning of his ministry because they're nowhere in sight. And he condemns them all through this message in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And that is called the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. And then he comes down in the 8th chapter, starts his ministry, preaches... They get mad at him all through his ministry. Finally, in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, he condemns them finally at the last. And they said, that's it. Hey, we're not going to put up with you anymore. They take Jesus and crucify him. Then he resurrects from the dead in the 27th chapter. And the 28th chapter, he goes to them and gives them the Great Commission, what people call the Great Commission. Now remember, John said there comes one after me who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Holy Ghost and fire and water are two different things. Water baptism is not Holy Ghost and fire. That's a spiritual baptism. They're not the same. What was John doing? John was baptizing with a proselyte 
baptism. Why? Now, proselyte baptism, I'm going to say it again. This was when you read and study some of my books, particularly uh, The Life and Times of Jesus, the Messiah. You say, I've tried to read that book. That's just too hard to read. Has anybody tried to read this just out and out read it? It's hard. Let me tell you how you read it. You go to the, go back here to the index, and you look up, let me see here, H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P. If I'm going to look up something about the proselytes, I'm going to go to the P, or proselyte, proselyte. It'll say some Greek proselytes desire to see Jesus, page 472 to 444. And then it'll tell you about some more proselytes. But it doesn't say anything about proselyte baptism in here. So I go to the B part of it, and I look up baptism, and it tells me something about proselyte baptism. Look up everything you can when you're looking something up. And it'll tell you about what I'm fixing to tell you. It'll also tell you about the Talmud. It'll tell you about Midrash. Mr. Edersheim is a great, great scholar. He'll tell you about Halakha, Haggadah, but so will McClinic and Strong under Talmud. You look up Talmud under McClinic and Strong, it'll go right into the Halakha, right into the Haggadah. We never hear anybody even talk about that, do we? Nobody. And if you don't study what the Pharisees believe, you're not going to understand why Jesus was fighting them. Because they were lying. Now, all right. Now, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Here. Why would he tell his apostles? He was crucified here in chapter 26, 27. He was crucified there. Why would he tell his apostles to go into the world and baptize with John's water baptism when he's got one of his own? Why would he tell them that? He wouldn't, would he? You have to have rocks in your head to actually believe that. That means all the Baptist preachers and all the Church of Christ preachers in America have got rocks in their head because they believe that. He's not saying that here. And he tells them here in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. Judas was dead. He had hanged himself. Into the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye... Therefore, and teach all nations. Now, the amazing thing about this is the definition of the word nation. Nation is the word ethnos. We got our word ethnic from that. 
And it doesn't just mean nations, it is also a word Gentiles. Wait a minute. He's telling his apostles to call the world and preach to the Gentiles, whereas up to Jesus being crucified, the Gentiles had never received the message of the gospel, have they? Never. They were blind in the Old Testament. And the word of God was never given to the Gentiles, only to the Jewish line, Jewish line that started back here with Adam, went down to Noah and Shem, and then down to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's name to changed to Israel. So the Gentiles had never had the truth, and Jesus is telling them to go preach to the Gentiles. Then he says, baptizing them in the name. How could he be telling them to go and baptize with water when he's got a baptism of his own? You think people actually thought he meant, you think these apostles believed that he meant to go into the world and baptize with a water baptism? Remember the water baptism was a proselyte it was a Pharisee teaching. Now, Jesus would go along with some of the Pharisees' teachings if they were biblical, if they would match up with Scripture. But if they didn't match up with Scripture, he would call them down for it. Now, remember, the Pharisees had a baptism. They said that if you were living in somewhere in the world, you're living over here in, if you're living here, over here in Sicily, and you heard about this God over here in, this God in Israel. Israel was the only people right here on the eastern end of the Mediterranean that worshiped Jehovah God. They're the only ones that had the truth about him. Nobody else did. God had not extended that until Acts 2. And he tells his apostles to go into all the world, teach to these Gentiles now. So, go into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them in. Now, I keep saying that the word in, you got three words for in. You have the word E-I-S, ice. You have the word epi. And you have the word E-N, or E-N. These three words, not one of those words means in, when it comes to baptize, means to move into something and come out of, come out of it. Doesn't mean to come out. This word right here, in Matthew 28 is the word ice or ease, however you want to pronounce it. And it means to move into, but not come out. This word epi means to cover with or to superimpose. When you superimpose something, superimpose, you cover it. You cover it. You superimpose, you cover it. I always think of superimposition in high school. We had these we had these biology books, and it would have the circulatory system, and you'd flip it over 
on the man and he'd flip the circulatory system on top of him. Or the, you'd, you'd flip the pulmonary system, his breathing system, and flip it over. That's a superimposition. So what that means to you is cover with. This is the word that Peter used right here in Acts, in Acts the second chapter, Acts 2.38. And most people think that's a Church of Christ verse. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name. The word name, Onoma means authority. What that means is to superimpose or cover your life with the authority of God, which would be his law, his word, the truth. It's not possible. It is absolutely impossible in Acts 2.38 that Peter was talking about dipping in water. Because this is at Pentecost, which comes 50 days after the Passover. And then at the Passover, the Pharisees were in charge of Jerusalem and all of the waterworks at Jerusalem. They hated Jesus enough to kill him. Then when you get to Acts, the third chapter, after Peter tells him to repent and be baptized, Acts 2.38, you get to Acts the third chapter and the Pharisees come threatening Peter and John for healing a man and preaching in the name of Jesus. You actually think in this second chapter when Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You actually think in that second chapter they had a change of mind and then they went back to being crazy in Acts 3? You understand what I'm saying? Do y'all get that? They, 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 did the Pharisees go wacky and say, okay, now you can go dip people in water in our, in our public waterworks. That takes common thinking, doesn't it? They're so mad at James and Peter and John for preaching in this name. They say, if you keep preaching his name, we're going to beat you. And they were in charge of Jerusalem, any waterworks. And the nearest water was about 20 miles north of Jerusalem, up here at the Jordan River. Can't you see 3,000 people marching up there to the Jordan River? That is insane. How long would it take them to walk up there and then dip them all in water? Let them all give a testimony. He's not talking about that. What are you doing? They were after running, aren't they? <laughs> that is crazy. Even James Dale says that in his book. They're not going to give them permission to take over their waterworks to dip 3,000 people that were converted that day. Are they? They hate them. They're not going to let them do something in the name of Jesus. It's crazy. Now, what was this proselyte baptism? It was a Pharisee thing. <sighs> the Pharisees said, "Gotta make it short." When they were carried, when the Jews were carried away after five hundred years under kings, going after Baal in the grove, and they were oppressing the poor, 
God scatters northern Israel, scatters southern Judah, all over the world. Southern Judah is scattered over into Babylon. And when they're in Babylon, the temple's been destroyed over here in Jerusalem. They said, we don't have a law over here, so we need a law. So they take the word of God in the Hebrew. They take the text and translate it to the Aramaic in the Babylonian. Babylon is the same thing as Iraq. So we're here. Here's the Euphrates. They're over here in Babylon on the Euphrates River, about 100 miles north of the Persian Gulf on the Euphrates. And they speak Aramaic over there, so they translate to Aramaic. They call this translation Targum. I know I'm saying a lot of the same things. You know how long it took me studying this to get this thing straight in my mind, and it's still not completely straight. I've taken decades. The reason I repeat it to you, because I don't think you get it one time around. Do you? It's an awful lot. And I've spent a lifetime on this stuff. Well, not a lifetime on all of it. I started studying this Halakon Haggadah. Started studying that about 30 years ago. And sometimes I'm just drawn back to it constantly. When they translate, they say, we've got to have somebody that translates this for us. And they call that translator Methurgyman. M-E-T-H-U-R-G-E-M-A-N. I started to show you when I had this open here in the back and had Methurgyman and I had it highlighted. I had it highlighted in the page number song. It's not like I make this. Some people accuse me of making these things up. If I can make this much up, boy, I'm really good at that. Can you see there, Methurgyman right there? Right there, I got it outlined. Yes, I can, page 1089. 1089. I, people like to, you're just making all that up. You're just not educated enough to know that. Well, I know I'm not educated enough, but I sure do read a lot. All right. Now, all right. So it says, God all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, would this include Paul? Would, would this commission include Paul? Or is, just, is this only for the apostles? No, it would include Paul, wouldn't it? In fact, you can read the 17th chapter of, of Luke, and whatever the apostles received, Paul says, those that hear their words... They're going to have the same. They're going to have the same calling. Uh, I don't know if I need to read all this. Uh, well, you can read that yourself. He says you have the same calling that the apostles had. Well, let me get through with this. When they come over here to Babylon, they have what they call. They start with something called a midrash. You can read about that in here. You can also read about the Midrash, the Mishnah, the, the Mishnah, 
the Targum, you can read about that. In Lightfoot's, Lightfoot's commentary, From the from the Talmud and Hebraica, and Hebraica. And that's a five-volume set that I've got in my library at home. I bring the books up here from time to time. And you and he will go through and show you how the Pharisees changed these words according to their translation. They said you needed a man who's one of them, one of the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue, to translate for you. So they took all of these verses out of the law, put their spin on it, nothing but an opinion, and this is what Jesus was attacking in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. He's attacking the Pharisees on what they said. Anytime he says, you've heard that it hath been said by them, it's referring to the Pharisees of old time. Old time doesn't mean when they were over here in, under the law. It means 500 years before when they're over here in Babylon twisting the word of God. So they added all of these things, their opinions. One of my favorite that they added was when Jesus said, they said in this, in their opinion, they said that God created man on the sixth day to put him in subjection to the Sabbath. That was in their halakha. And when Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, they were livid. You twist our law and our rules, we'll kill you. And they finally did for that. They were enraged. How are you going to know what the Pharisees believed if you don't study what they believed? And there's something you won't understand that Paul said, I've never heard any preacher deal with it. Nobody. Ever. If you don't understand, one thing they inserted into the... into the their halakha, the verbal law. The halakha was the verbal law, and they said it could not be L-A-K-H. They said that halakha, now you'll see that referred to all the time by Mr. Edersheim. He's got, he's got four super books. You'll see it referred to under Talmud in the McClinic and Strong in the Hastings. Nobody ever talks about it, ever, ever. Mary was down here at Rivergate talking to a Jewish lady, trying to talk to her about the Bible. The Jewish lady said, I don't know anything about that. Mary said, you study the halakha, don't you? And the woman went, oh, how'd you know that? He asked, she asked her that. How'd you know? She said, my husband teaches on that. The halakha, they said, could not be written down, the Haggadah, which is a bunch of garbage, the Haggadah could not be spoken aloud. And this finally evolved into the Talmud. It came through the Mishnah first, 
and then into the Talmud. And one of the things that I just want to address, I'm not going to go to all the things they said. One of the things they said, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the rabbis of the Babylonian, or we could put rabbin. Rabbin is plural, high end. I'll say rabbis for the sake of clarity. But the Pharisee rabbis were the heads of the synagogue in Babylon. Synagogue comes from soon and I'll go. It means to lead together what actually means assembly of God. I would take that name off of my church if I had that on there. It is an evil system. Soon I go. And then when they came to hear back to Jerusalem in the time of Jesus, he attacks them. One of the things they had in their halakha, they said that if a man, I'm going to make this plain. I've never heard a man address this, what Paul said. They couldn't address it. This was a Pharisee halakha law. They said if a man would be circumcised, washed in water, and if he would offer two young pigeons or two turtle doves that he could become a member of Israel or the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God was a term for Israel. The reason, because God was their king. You can look in, I've got several places, but you can look in Hosea, the 13th chapter. Hosea, you can see this, Hosea 13th chapter, just real quick. You can see that the kingdom of God is a term for Israel, which had to go through these three things. But, Hosea 13, this is God talking to Israel through the mouth of Hosea. Hosea, Joel, Amos. 13. In verse 10, verse 9, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. This is God talking. I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities and thy judges of whom thou saidest? Give me a king and princes. He said, I was your king when you asked for a king. He says in the 12th chapter of 1 Samuel, God says through Samuel, you desired a king, a king to be over you when God was your king. So that's kingdom of God. Well, the Pharisees got that part right. So you can accept that. Every man in Israel had to be circumcised the eighth day. So they got that right. The women, after they went through 40 days 
of purification process when when Mary comes to Israel in the second chapter of Luke when she comes to Jerusalem after 40 days to be purified and then she offers two turtle doves so that part is right where'd they get this washing in water they inserted that from the temple all the priests would be washed in the water of the brazen sea before they went and offered sacrifice on the altar. So in a, since Jesus hasn't been nailed to the cross yet and all the rituals still are in act, they're still active, all of those are biblical. So Jesus said they're not, they're not so you can be spiritually brought alive but he says, I will be baptized in water because the Pharisees think that Jesus is from northern Israel. Northern Israel was a cursed place to the Pharisees. They knew he was raised in the land of Zebulun in Nazareth. They didn't know that he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. And they consider you a bastard if you were from anywhere other than southern Judah which is where the Pharisees ruled everything. So Jesus tells John the Baptist, wash me in water. And Mr. Lightfoot says, if you went through this process, they said in their halakha that they would have to listen to you. That was part of their law, part of their halakha. So he goes to John the Baptist and says, let's fulfill all righteousness. Well, so they wash him in water. And over there in John, the eighth chapter, they said, have we not said this is a Samaritan? He's, a, he's northern Israel. He's not going to prove anything to him by telling them, I was born in Bethlehem and I have a right to southern Judah. He just tells John, wash me in water. So when John washes him in water, John says there in John, the first chapter, first chapter, John. I'm going slow because I want you to get a hold of this. John is baptizing in water when he goes to him. This is John's account. John's account, after Jesus says, Behold the Lamb of God in verse 29. And he says, John says, This is he of whom I said, verse 30, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come washing in water. That's the only reason. It wasn't so you can have an outward testimony of an inner work of God in you. It's so that he would have to be accepted by the Pharisees. Now, I'm not going to go further than that. Just I want you to go over here to 1 first, first Corinthians. Was Paul a Pharisee? Huh? Well, sure he was. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That meant his father was a Pharisee and his father's father was a Pharisee and he come from a long line of Pharisees. You can see that 
in Philippians the second, uh, the Philippians the third chapter. Look at that real quick. If he was a Pharisee, he practiced the traditions of the Pharisees. He practiced halakha. He went around baptizing people in water so he could bring them into the kingdom. Now look here in, uh, in Philippians. We've got to verify that Paul was a Pharisee so that we'll know that he was washing people in water. He practiced the traditions of his fathers. He said so. Look here in the third chapter of Philippians. Ephesians, Philippians. And sometimes you have to back all this up, see. Okay, Philippians, the third chapter. He's talking about his credentials. He says, verse 4, third chapter, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath thereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. I was actually circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. That was issued to Abraham in the 17th chapter of Genesis. Why the eighth day? The blood, is its, the blood is at its highest clotting factor on the eighth day, so a child wouldn't bleed to death. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was of southern Judah. And Hebrew of the Hebrews, and as touching the law, I was a Pharisee. I practiced halakal. He went around washing people in water. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. And look over here in Galatians, the first chapter. Galatians. Look at verse 11, chapter 1. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, but which was preached to me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it out of the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation, my anastrophe. My method of living. You know how I lived. My conversation and time packs in the Jews' religion, the Halakha. How that beyond measure, I persecuted the church and wasted it. Poor Theo. I ravaged and destroyed and killed the Christians. And profited in the Jews' religion above many mine equals and mine own nation being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions, the paradosis. That was the verbal law, the halakha. I was zealous of the traditions of my fathers. 
That means he was washing people in water because he was doing that before Jesus died. He was a Pharisee. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians. The first chapter. I've never heard a preacher even deal with this. Never heard it even read. Verse 12. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. They're divided. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? When you were baptized, he has to be talking about proselyte baptism here because he wouldn't say, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you spiritually, would he? He wouldn't say that. Who are these people? They're Corinthians. Where do they live? Here at Corinth. Right here. Right there. And up there, that Peloponnesus there. Corinth is right there in that little waterway there. There's a little land bridge separating the southern Greece from northern Greece. And that was all, that was all Gentiles. And Paul is saying here, when I was a Pharisee and I was living as a Pharisee, I was killing Christians and I was proselyting people into the Jews' religion because I was zealous of it. I thank God that I baptized none of you but Christmas and guys. What is he talking about here? He can't be talking about, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you with the blood of Christ. He can't be saying that, can he? Not possible. Using baptism a little out of character here, but they would use that and call that a baptism or a new birth, washing people in water. The only reason who would be washing anybody in water at Corinth was a proselyte process, wasn't it? You have to learn by process of elimination. That's what he's talking about, isn't he? And then look what he says. Lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized, see that word I baptized? It is spelled E-B-A-P-T-I-S-M-O-S. It is I baptized. He didn't use the common word I. He used ebaptismos. Now, I want you to notice. What did we say? What part of speech did we say baptized was? It's an infinitive. If Paul baptized... He couldn't say that was an infinitive of sorts. He said, I was doing the baptizing. Baptize means to cover with a stain or dye, and the action has to come from an outer source, and this action here was coming from the apostle Paul, except he wasn't an apostle when he was doing that. He was a Pharisee practicing the traditions of his fathers. Can you see this elimination? You eliminate everything except Paul here. 
There is no way Paul could be saying, when Jesus said, go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you, but Crispus and Gaius and some of the household of Stephanus, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you with blood. He couldn't be saying that, could he? Why would he be saying this? These were proselytes at one point. And I baptized, I baptized, e baptismos. I did the baptizing. It wasn't the fluid. It was me dipping people in water or pouring water on them. That does not fit the definition of a verbal noun. I think I'd have baptized none of you. Baptized also the household of Stephens. Besides that, I don't even remember if I baptized any, if I did the baptizing of any other, because baptized doesn't mean to wash with water. He has to be talking in the sense of an old Pharisee when he was a Pharisee before his conversion. He was washing people into the kingdom of God. Then notice what he says. For Christ sent me not to baptize in water. Did Christ send us to baptize? Did he? Yeah, he did. In water? No. He says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but watch how this connects. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And what is the gospel? You <laughs> you ain't Galizo, that's right. A-U-A-G-G-E-L-I-Z-O. It's our word evangelize, but I got something in mind. What baptism? What is preaching the gospel? Mark the first chapter, verse 1. Now, Paul says... He sent me to baptize, but not with that water. Look at Mark, the first chapter. And watch this come together. It just clicks like a... Like two things clicking. It just meshes together. And I brought this out before. So, he didn't send me to, to wash proselyte converts, but to preach the gospel. Did he send Paul to do the same thing that he sent the apostles to do? Yes, go into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them with a blood baptism. That's what he has to be talking about. He can't say, go and teach all nations, baptizing them with John's water baptism. No. Look here. Now remember, you've got to keep in mind what Paul said. God didn't send me to baptize in water, but to preach the gospel. And what is the gospel according to Mark, the first chapter, starting in verse 1? The beginning of the gospel is, this is what the Lord sent us to preach. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. This is the gospel. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, 
Here's the gospel. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Remember the word way? Oh, those. There's only one way. It is narrow. Narrow way. Narrow is, this is what God called us to preach. Now is the word thalibo. It's a form of the word thalipsis. It is the noun, the verb form of thalipsis. Thalipsis is the common word tribulation every time you find it in the New Testament. So Paul is saying, God did not send me to wash people in water, but preach the narrow way, which is the gospel, according to the Bible, it is the baptism. Notice what he says. Notice how this falls. It's just like it goes quick. He said, he didn't send me to wash people at water at Corinth, but to preach the gospel to them, which was prepare the narrow way. But the Bible says prepare the narrow way was also what John preached. John didn't, he didn't preach the baptism of water. John preached the baptism of repentance. Go back to Luke, the third chapter. Luke, the third chapter. Let me see if I can put this on the board in algebra form, okay? Okay, look at Luke 3. Watch how it all goes click, click, click. Now, I've got to erase some of this over here because I've got to put it on the board. Luke, the third chapter. I hope you... I'm trying to go through this slow... I've said it before. I've never heard anybody deal with what Paul said. God didn't send me to baptize, but he sent me to baptize. He sent... Paul said, God sent me not to baptize... proselyte baptized in water but to preach the gospel which is Prepare ye the way. Hodos. Tribulation. Is fire and trials, is that a baptism? Fiery trials of your life, is that a baptism? Yeah, it is. That's something we all don't like. If you preach a water baptism makes everything else easy. You don't preach people have to go through a blood baptism. That's kind of what Ron's going through right now with his granddaughter having a tumor on her brain and he's crying a lot. He's going through a baptism.
It's really tough. Well, look here what the Bible says. Paul said, the Lord didn't send me to wash people with a proselyte baptism. Here's the way it's put in the third chapter of Luke. It's talking about John. It's the son of Zacharias in verse 2. He's in the wilderness. That's the last phrase of the sentence. And he came into all the country of Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance. This is a different baptism than one of water for the remission of sins. And here is the baptism as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah. If you start preaching baptism after Isaiah, the 40th chapter, you started too late. It was preached in Isaiah. As it is written in the words of Isaiah. So the bap John came preaching the baptism of repentance. Of repentance. He didn't preach the baptism of water. He baptized with water to bring people into the kingdom. There's an answer to that. Israel only had two tribes back from the captivity. Northern Israel was the ten lost tribes, and they wanted to restore the kingdom, and John says, we'll restore it spiritually. That water baptism and that process of circumcision, water baptism, and, and offering two turtle doves was admission into Israel, made you a citizen of Israel as far as the Pharisees concerned, but it wasn't a law out of the Bible. But if you don't know that Pharisees are doing that, you're not going to have any idea what Paul's talking about when he's writing to the Corinthians. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And preaching the gospel is preaching, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the Bible says that is the baptism of repentance. So he came preaching the baptism of repentance, which is prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That is the baptism he preached. That's the one that Jesus was talking about when he said, go into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them with blood. Not literal blood. It's a spiritual baptism. A blood baptism was a martyrdom. It was a death. That's what Jesus meant when he said to James and John, can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? Said that in Mark 10. They said, we can. And he said, both of you will. You'll both die the martyr's death. You'll be baptized with a blood baptism. A blood baptism, that also comes out of McLennigan Strong. You just look up blood at the end of the article. It'll say a blood baptism was a death. Now, what you have to do if you believe in water baptism, you got to throw this blood baptism to the wind and forget it. You're not really going through it like the message I preached Sunday morning about death to self and not fighting and not arguing, not fussing and saying and just dying to the flesh unless you stop the water. The water is not what it's about. 
I couldn't understand that when I was a kid. I evaluated everything as a little boy. I couldn't understand it. Why does daddy say I have to be dipped in water again? I don't understand this. I don't feel anything spiritual about this. Well, my father was wrong. Of course, he didn't know nothing about any of this. I didn't learn any of this stuff from him. I learned it through a lot of study, a lot of years. Now, let's finish reading this. John came preaching the baptism of repentance. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That is the baptism. Look here. Baptism of repentance equals the gospel because the gospel is preparing the way of the Lord. Baptism and repentance is preparing the way of the Lord. So God sent me not to wash people in water, but to preach the gospel, which is the baptism of repentance, and it's a blood baptism. Is that what he's saying? I don't know why it's hard for people to reason this out, but it appears to be. Then he says, Every valley shall be filled Every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough way shall be made smooth. And all flesh, with this baptism of repentance, all flesh, red, yellow, white, black, and brown flesh, will see the salvation of the Lord. That's all men. God would have all men be saved. That is all flesh. Every time you find all flesh. When the apostles were told to go out and to preach the gospel to every nation, Gentiles, that's the Gentile world. Now it's not just the Jewish flesh in the Old Testament. Now it's the all flesh. That's exactly what Simon said in that second chapter of Luke when he says, in the second chapter of Luke, you back up on the other page, Simon comes, Mary's come into Jerusalem after her 40 days, and she comes to offer two turtle doves for Jesus. That was her period of exile till she was clean. And you look up here in verse 24 of chapter 2, and she came to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. She came to do that. That was in the law. And that was a part of the halakha process. And then he comes on down here and we see, we see Simon come. Don't read all of it. Well, I'll go ahead and read verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout and waiting for the consolation of the Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law... Simeon took him, took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, 
Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. I'm ready to die according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation when I looked at this baby Christ, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles. That's everything that Isaiah said. He's a light for the Gentiles. The Gentiles are going to come to the light. So this, so he preached the baptism of repentance as it's written in the book of Isaiah. Go back to the 40th chapter of Isaiah. The baptism that we're to preach is the baptism of repentance. The baptism of metanoia, M-E-T-A, N-O-I-A, of being turned. But the Bible says you can't turn yourself. Turn thou me and I shall be turned. The scripture says over there in, in Jeremiah 31, 18, if you turn me, I'll be turned. And after I was turned, I repented. And you'll have to repent. You'll have to turn from yourself and your ways. That's the true baptism. It's not dipping somebody in water, sprinkling water on them. That's not what Jesus was talking about in the Great Commission. He's talking about preaching to people they have to repent, go through this blood baptism. What is that he was talking about? How much time do I have, Mike? 17. 17. I'm not going to be able to finish this. I'm sorry. Let me give you something, what he's talking about. It's what's actually the Bible saying. I hope y'all can, can you see this? Is this too hard to see? I don't know why no preachers have ever gotten a hold of it. I've never heard a preacher even deal with these things. I never preacher, heard a preacher that knew anything about proselyte baptism and the halakha of the Pharisees. If Jesus is confronting the Pharisees every day of his life, wouldn't you think it's smart for us Pull out the McClinic and Strong and just start reading the Pharisees. Take your life and times of Jesus the Messiah. Look in the back. It's too hard to read, but you can read a section, read three or four pages on proselyte, Pharisees, proselyte baptism. You can do that, can't you? And it makes it easier to understand what it's talking about. We've got so much... I was going to try to get into blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. All the rituals have blotted out, not the law. The law comes in two parts. What does it come in? Does anybody remember? Spiritual and ritual. Well, spiritual and the letter. The spirit and the letter of the law. The letter killeth, the spirit giveth life there in the third chapter of Second Corinthians. The letter has been blotted out, but not the law. Can you go kill people? Can you go rob banks tomorrow? Well, I need some money for my, for my bills, and God don't mind if I rob a bank. Well, yeah, he does, and so does the law. You can't just do what you want to do. There's a verse over there in, I always think of it when I say, people say, the law's been blotted out. Ridiculous. Look at the third chapter of Romans. There's a man that won't keep the law. Who is he? Huh? Satan. Well, no. <laughs> There's a man in you that won't keep the law. 
the outer man won't keep the law. And there's an inner man that can't sin. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Where did I say we were going? Romans 3. Romans 3, yeah. All right. Romans 3. I love that last verse of Romans 3. Do we make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law in faith. We believe God and we quit believe in ourselves and we can't live the way we want to live. And you look at Galatians over there. Galatians 5. Or, well, I'll get it in a minute. Galatians 5, 14. For all the law is fulfilled in word and word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That word love is agape, walking in God's commandments. Second John 6, this is love that we walk after God's commandments. And his commandments are not just the Ten Commandments. It's every imperative mood that you find in the Greek. You say, do I have to define all the imperative moods? No, it'll be going on in your heart. You'll know the things you're not supposed to do. That'll be the inner man that doesn't break them. The outer man can't keep from breaking them. The older you live, the longer you live, the older you get, you'll realize. What was Jesus talking about when he said, Go to the world and preach, all, preach the gospel to every nation? Look over here in, in Romans 5. Look at Romans 5. Here's what he's talking about. We preach. I hope this will help you. You know what I believe? I believe the fact that the church refuses to see the spiritual baptism is why it's so far away from God. Because without a, without a blood baptism, there's no death to self. There's no daily cross. There's no self-denial. There's no fire, no trials. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial which to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. That's where strange kinizo or kazinos, X-E-N-O-S, means an occasional guest. This is not a stranger, the fire and trial. It is the blood baptism you're supposed to go through. Don't say, why is God doing this to me? We've got so many people here that are going through a blood baptism. And it's tough, isn't it, to live the life you're having to live. Now, look here in Romans 5. Here's what Jesus tells us to go preach. 5 and verse... Well, let's read 9 through 11. Much more than, well, I need to read 8. God commendeth himself toward us, commendeth his love, his agape toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, when we were unrepentant, Christ died for the elect. Didn't die for everybody. Died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath or gay. What are we going to be saved from? Self. 
O-R-G, Ada. Feminine gender is the Babylonian wrath that's in us, and Babylon mothered all idolatry, and that's why it's feminine, and it's the wrath of covetousness, of wanting more. I want more of what I want, and I don't care how I have to get it. You'll be saved from that. If you hadn't been saved from that yet, God's got a lot more work to do on you. He is in the midst of saving you from self. Saved from wrath through him. Well, if you die to the orgay, that is a blood baptism that's causing you to do that, isn't it? Wouldn't it be? Somebody give me a yes or no. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that sounds great coming from an old heavy metal DJ. <laughs> All right. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God. You know how much I got to say on reconcile? Reconcile means to buy you back to where you used to be. Boy, next week I'll go into that some more. That means that you used to be in Christ when you were a baby. You came to sin. You went out of Christ. You became a lost sheep. You didn't become a goat. You were still a sheep, and he's going to have to reconcile all of his sheep. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. He'll reconcile you and buy you back to where you once were as a baby. Now, that word reconciled is the word katalasso. This is what he sent us to preach. That's reconciled. That's the verb. Verb form. Now let's keep reading. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, katalasso, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the atonement, katalage. That is the noun form of reconciled. Atonement, and every time you find atonement, Let me put it this way. Every time you find reconciled in the Old Testament or reconciliation, it is the word kafar. Kafar is what they did to the Ark of the Covenant when the high priest would go in and sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant seven times on the Day of Atonement or the Day of Reconciliation. And atonement and baptism have the same meaning. Reconciliation is the baptism. That's what we preach. When the Bible says, pitch the Ark within and without with pitch, Pitch with pitch. 
first word pitch is the word kafar. That's the verb, cover all over, kafar to cover. And the second word pitch, kofar, means to stain with a dye, has the exact same meaning as baptize, to stain and to dye. And it was not, the, the water wasn't the salvation. The water was the judgment of God. When the Bible says there in First Peter, the third chapter there, and it says, baptism doth also now save us. As eight souls were saved, it doesn't say by water. It says through water, dia. Eight souls were saved through water by the pitch of the ark. That's what kept the water from coming in. It was a caulking. Some said it came out of the ground. Some said it came out of out of a tree. How, whatever it came out of, they put it on boats to keep them from sinking. That was just like the blood. So that's what we preach here in the New Testament. Let me show you what he tells us. Go into all the world. Look over here in Second, in Second Corinthians five eighteen and nineteen. Second Corinthians. I'm not. I'm barely going to get this in. I may go over this again next week. Second Corinthians five, verse seventeen: If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things come through, become new, and all things are of God. And He hath reconciled, katalaso, sin atonement, reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of katalage, atonement, baptism. And it has to come from our mouths. Because look at the next verse. To wit, or in this way, that God was in Christ reconciling the world. That word reconciling is the form of atonement. Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the lagos of katalage, the word of reconciliation, the word of atonement, the word of baptism. It comes out of our mouths. That's what Jesus meant when he said, go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them with the word of God. Because John preached the baptism of repentance. It was spoken of it over there in the book of Isaiah when Isaiah said, prepare you the way of the Lord, Make a highway for the Lord in the desert for the Lord and call Israel back to, back to, call them out of Babylon. They were in self, let us make us a name, call them out of Babylon to Israel to rebuild the temple and we have to rebuild this temple of God right here. Which temple you are? And we're heavenly Jerusalem, the church. We have to build this house of God. I, did, I just kind of cut the end of this short. I hope you can see what we're talking about. Can you see it? It's. I want to come back and finish up this katalasso. Am I out of time? Two minutes. Two minutes. I've got so much more on this katalasso and the reconciling. When you see the word reconcile, that is. When you get into the word redemption, one of the words is. Agarazzo. A-G-O-R-A-Z-O. It comes from Agora. A-G-O-R-A. 
which is the word marketplace. That's where they bought and sold the slaves. And we were slaves to this world. And when you see somebody that's, that's got agoraphobia, agora means has a fear of the marketplace and they can't hardly go out of their houses. We had a fellow, he just passed away here a few months ago, James Fulton. He had agoraphobia. He couldn't get out in public. He said, I just can't come up here at the church. I just get real nervous and scared. And uh, wonderful man, just wonderful guy. And uh, we'll see him again one day. But that's what agoraphobia is. And agora is the word marketplace in, the G, in, the, in this. And agorazo comes from agora. They sold the slaves in the marketplace and redeemed them in the marketplace and bought them back from where they had been sold. That's what the Bible teaches that we were under sin until faith came in our lives. We were locked in. We couldn't die or go to hell. We were locked in. I got to go through that next week. I hope you can see that what Jesus told us to do was go preach the baptism of repentance. Not preach water. It's not true. I don't know why preachers don't see this. If you dissect everything, go into these books. You don't know what treasures you can get out of this life and times of Jesus the Messiah. Don't try to read it. You've got too many Herods and too many of these guys in there. Go in here. Go into that Go on to the uh, index in the back and look up things on proselytes and read them. Re look up baptism and read it. He's going to tell you a lot of things. This man was born 1825, died in 1889. He was a Jew converted to Christianity. Don't mean I agree with everything he says, because I don't. But he's got a tremendous amount of figures of speech, idioms, metaphors, and you can learn a lot from him. He's got three other excellent books, The Temple, Its Ministry, and Services. He's got uh, sketches of the Jewish social life. He'll tell you about everyday things that you won't find anywhere else. And he's got The, uh, the History of Israel, which he'll give you a lot of, lot of things in The History of Israel. Well, we're out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to see that we need to preach this blood baptism to people. Lord, that's what we get when we preach that Christmas is pagan and Easter is pagan and God doesn't love everybody. We get blood baptized. Thank you for your truth. It's wonderful, Lord, and it's terrible because it's the most wonderful, horrible doctrine there is because people hate it. And you love it and we love it. Thank you for truth, Lord. Give us strength to continue in Christ's name. Amen. It's salt to us, right? Uh -huh. It's salt to us. Yeah, it is. Hey, Jim. You were talking about the um, baptism. I think you didn't mean to say repentance. You were talking about blood baptism. And then you said the word repentance again, like... That's not what blood baptism is. That's just strictly water, right? What? The water baptism is just for repentance. That's what John No, it's not repentance. Water baptism is not repentance. That's just for being in the kingdom of God in Israel. 
that was just a Pharisee thing. So for the John was doing that for the remission of sins, right? No. John was preaching the baptism of repentance. He was baptizing, bringing people into Israel because they wanted to restore Israel. So, okay, so he was preaching the. He was preaching the baptism of repentance, but the baptism of repentance didn't have anything to do with what he's doing. It's two different things. Okay. They were saying, they see, they were upset at Rome because Rome, Rome was killing them. They was coming up into northern Israel, and they even slaughtered and butchered some of the Israelites and offered them on altars in northern Israel. And Israel said, we can't stand this anymore. Rome was just a bunch of barbarians. And they'd come in there and slaughter Israelites and not think anything about it. And they'd come to John and they'd say, they'd say ask Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom? We're tired of Rome ruling us and slaughtering us and butchering us. So John is saying, we're going to show you that the kingdom of God is not literal, it's spiritual. And they could come and become members of the kingdom of God if they'd go through this process. But John didn't preach the baptism of water for, for repentance. Okay. I got At it, all. Got it mixed up because it was separate. He was the baptism of repentance, his blood. That was coming from his mouth. But the water baptism is just for repent and be baptized. You repent, you will be baptized with blood. That's, That's right. What it means. You'll be blood baptized if you repent. Yeah. It's it's a simple process. And the, they just and the blood baptism is what we get when we speak the truth and are that's right. hated for. It. Or yeah. Christ has to blood baptize us before we will speak the truth. So, and then the reconciliation. I never heard that explained. It you didn't quite get all through it. There, but well, I got to come that, back that and word. finish it up. Bring you back to where you were. Is. You need to be a child again. You're, we're we're adults now. We do things our way, but we need to be reconciled, be brought back to brought, being a brought child. back to being a child. That's, That's why right. Jesus says, "Be as a little child." Putting things together, reconciliation is that equal baptism or truth? Reconcile means to bring you back to where you once were. That's, That's what where. If you reconcile with your wife, you go back to her. I know that, but was, you got to be a child again. Connecting words. I'll come back to that next week. It's awful. It'll take me a good while to go through that right See, here. That's a child. Reconcile means to be brought back to where you once were. That's what you say, I'm going to reconcile my wife, I'm going back to her and we're going to patch up, patch up things. It, it has the same meaning. We were babies, when we were babies, we, looked to we, our came, parents. we came to sin. When sin took occasion by the commandment, it slew me, Paul said there in the seventh chapter of Romans. I died when I came to sin. The first sin I come to, that killed me spiritually. While I was in sin, God protected me. I got to go back through that. Hey, what are you doing there, guy? What's going on? You know what I did with your picture? I put it in my living room right in a frame. Put over some other pictures. <laughs> but this is my friend. I know, I like that jacket. I love, actually love that jacket. You love the Cardinals? You get you I like their logo. You do. Hey, so if you're looking up Cosmos in your intercollegiate dictionary, do you look under C or K? You look under C. So they're not going to have KOS. Well, they may have it in there. I don't know. But they're going to tell you it comes from I thought you were tying the word reconcile to something else. No, I was tying the word reconcile to atonement because it's, it's translated atonement all through the Old Testament.
Atonement, that's it. That's what you're saying. Recon reconciling atonement are the same word in the Old Testament.